Dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, truly we pray that your word will be working mightily in us, that it will speak the truth to us, and that we will be able to really respond rightly as we prepare for the day of Jesus' return. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I shared last week that one of the hardest things for me as a pastor to do was to go to funerals. Uh, so for those of you who remember the sermon last week, you may have remembered that I said that one of the hardest funerals are those uh, where people die really suddenly. But I think that actually, I'd like to revise that. I think the worst funerals are not those of people who died suddenly, but the worst funerals are those people where you go to the funeral and you realize that these people were once Christian, but then when they died, they were no longer Christians. I think you know what I mean, right? Where maybe these are people that you knew who were once strong in the faith, who for whatever reason fell away and then they died. And I think that as I think of some of the friends that I know of, I really dread the day when I will have to go to their funeral because once upon a time, these people were really strong believers in Jesus Christ. They were maybe elders in church or even Bible study leaders and even people who went to theological college with me that today are far, far away from God. And sometimes when I think of these people, I think of myself and I think, oh dear, right? What happened to these people that I knew who were once the models of my own Christian faith? What happens if that one day is me? What happens if one day in the future I stumble, I falter, and I fall because of the temptation of sin or the pressure or persecution or being weighed down by stress and worries or just general tiredness and exhaustion? Well, I think today's passage speaks, I think, to those worries and concerns. Now, you'll need your Bible in front of you uh, because I think uh, definitely in this passage, it really, really deals a lot with the images which uh, the Bible and God is speaking about. Now it says in chapter 5, verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, this passage follows on from what we learned last week. And actually, if you remember last week, last week in verse 15 onwards in chapter 4, the topic was very much on the return of Jesus Christ. And last week, there was a great deal of detail about what happens when Jesus returns, about how he would return. Okay, So if you look at the slide up here, you see that Jesus uh, has spoken very clearly of how when he came down, he would come again. And he would come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are still alive will, will rise up, and they will be with the Lord God, uh, Lord Jesus forever, and God forever. And it's very interesting, right? Because when you read verse 15 onwards, there's a lot of detail, a lot of information, a lot of facts and particulars about what will happen when Jesus returns. Right, how he will return. But this week, as we look at chapter 5, it talks about when Jesus will return, the timing of his return. And when we look at the timing of Jesus' return, when he actually comes back, it's very interesting because the passage actually says, you know very well that you know nothing. Right? You know lots of details about what's going to happen when he comes back. 
but exactly of the time that he's going to come back, you know nothing. All right? So if you look at the passage itself, it's, it's almost like a paradox, right? It's like you know very well that you know nothing about when Jesus is going to come back. And in fact, that's why he uses the picture of the thief in the night. Because Jesus himself used that picture of how the time of Jesus' return would like be a thief coming in the night. So many times in Jesus' life, if you look up here on the slide, Jesus used that image of a thief coming in the night to show that no one would know when he would return. So in Matthew chapter 24, it says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know at what time, what day uh, the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Again in Luke chapter 12, it says, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And again in Mark chapter 13, it says, No one knows about that day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. And that's why when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, you know very well that you don't know when Jesus is going to return. It's impossible to predict when Jesus is going to return. Now, a thief coming at night is the very picture of uncertainty. I mean, I don't know how many of you have actually been robbed before. Maybe this illustration doesn't work in Singapore, right? Because no one's really been robbed, right? But for myself, when I was very young, uh, uh, apparently there was, a, there was a very uh, big robbery in my house. And my parents were tied up and uh, threatened at knife point. And uh, I was sort of un- uh, sleeping away, unknown about all these things. And uh, they had never expected the robber to be there. Again, when we were living in Australia, my wife, Cheryl, was robbed not once, not twice, but three times. And in fact, the last time, she actually was going home with a friend, and when she opened the door, who should be in the house but the robber himself, right? <laughs> so obviously, you, you know, if, she, if my wife had known the robber was going to be there, she wouldn't walk in on the robber like that. But that's the very definition of a thief, isn't it? When the thief comes, you never know when the thief will come. And that's why it's a paradox, right? Because in verse 1 and 2, if you look up at this slide, it actually says that you know very well that you do not know when Jesus is going to come. There is a certainty Jesus will come, but there is an uncertainty in terms of the timing of His coming. But in verse 3, it looks onto a different audience, right? Because in verse 1 and 2, it talks about brothers and sisters, you know that Jesus is coming, you just don't know when. But in verse 3 it says, And while people are saying peace and destruction, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now if you look at this passage, it's obviously seeing two groups of people, right? One group of people are the brothers and sisters who are united in Jesus Christ, 
who do not know when Jesus is coming, but they know that Jesus will certainly come. But then there's another group of people who are called people, and these people, they know nothing of Jesus coming, they don't know of Jesus coming, or they don't care of Jesus coming, and they don't believe in it, and they believe themselves to be safe and secure. They, they are saying peace and safety. But just as they are thinking of themselves of being safe from the judgment of God and safe from the return of Jesus, bringing God's wrath, then suddenly, it says, destruction comes upon them. Now, again, if you look up here in the slide, Jesus had said the very same thing. And this was part of the uh, responsive reading that we had earlier on. Where Jesus had said that, if you look up here, right, uh, the next one, that no one knows the hour, but just as in the days of Noah, so would be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And the picture here is one where people are going along in life with a sense of peace and security, unaware or uncaring about the judgment to come. And this is how it will be when Jesus comes. And I think this is a very real picture of the world which doesn't know Jesus and doesn't expect Jesus to return and doesn't expect judgment. Because in all seriousness, when you speak to your non-Christian friends, what do they fear? What, what are they afraid of? Fear, afraid of? What do they dread? Right? Uh, maybe they fear uh, MERS coming to Singapore and people getting sick. Or maybe they fear uh, America increasing interest rates so that they have to pay more for their mortgages. Or maybe the Greeks will exit the Eurozone so you know, there will be a financial crisis. Or maybe people are worried about the global warming or falling housing prices or rising COEs. But you never read the newspaper, the Straits Times, saying, threat of Jesus' return leads many to repent, right? Because people generally do not feel that that is something that they worry about. That's not something that concerns them. They feel safe and secure. But unfortunately, God says that's a delusion, right? That's something that's just not true. Because it says there, again, with a second picture, where it says, while they are saying peace and destruction, peace and safety, destruction will come to them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. See, what is this picture that is presented here in terms of the labor pains of a pregnant woman? You see, first of all, it's a picture of uh, um, suddenness, right? It's like a, it's, a, it's like a thief in the night. I mean, uh, I've had two kids now, and both times they've come suddenly, right? Both times. I've been uh, woken up in the middle of the night, my wife shaking me, and I'm like, hey, I think we have to go, no? I think the water's broken. I'm like, are you sure or not? Not another false alarm, right? No, no, okay, okay, we really have to go. So again, there's a suddenness to it, right? But, but also, I think there's a picture within the context of inevitability, right? I mean, before the days of caesarean birth, how do you give birth? You give birth when there's pain, isn't it? You cannot give birth without pain. It's an impossibility, right? It's like, you must have the pain in order to bear a child. And I think there's a picture here that there is an in, in, in inevitability. When Jesus comes and you're not united with Jesus, there is an inevitability of God's judgment. And that's why it says there, 
at the end of verse 3, that's why it says they will not escape. Just as childbearing requires pain, the pain of childbearing to bring forth the child. So the return of Jesus inevitably means God's judgment and wrath upon people who do not have forgiveness found in Him. And I think that if you look at this slide up here, it presents two pictures, right? Of two different sorts of people. The, the first sort of people are brothers and sisters in Christ who are united with Jesus, who know the return of Jesus, but they do not know when, but they are prepared for it. And because they are prepared for it, even though it comes as a thief in the night, when Jesus comes, they will be united with Jesus. Right? They will be unhurt by the return of Jesus. But there's a second group of people. Uh, and these people, they, they think they are safe, and they're sound, there's peace and security. They do not know Jesus, Jesus, they don't care about the return of Jesus. But when he comes, they will not escape judgment, just as the labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. So with these two identities and these two groups of people in mind, uh, the Bible then goes forward to then apply it to the people's lives. And he says in verse 4, But you, all right, now he's speaking to the Christians again, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Now here there are two contrasting, uh, I guess, again, images which show the distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not. And the first picture is, there are those who are in darkness. Right? And, and, and the thing is, the problem with this image is, it's not really clear, given this image, what darkness means. Darkness can mean a few things. But we can't go very far wrong, right, in terms of what the darkness can mean because of the context. So first of all, uh, you can show them the dark picture, right? Okay, the first of all, uh, darkness is usually associated with blindness, right? You know, there's always a phrase, you know, the guy's in the dark, right? He's walking in the, in the dark. He's got no clue, right? So darkness, in this context, again, has the idea of where there is a spiritual darkness. There is an inability to be able to see. There is ignorance of what is about to happen. There is no sensitivity to the spiritual things in life, to what Jesus actually done. But again as well, darkness has the idea of sin, isn't it? Wickedness. I mean, I mean for those of you who watch uh, Star Wars, right? You know, Darth Vader, what did he say to his son, Luke Skywalker? Join me in the dark side, right? right? He didn't say join me on the light side, right? Join me in the dark side. So darkness again is, is, is associated with, 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 with sin and wickedness. But I think the context in, in particular here is, must be in reference also to Jesus, right? Because Jesus and God in the Bible are always portrayed as light. Light coming into the darkness of this world. So in John chapter 1 and John chapter 8, if you look up on the slide here, right, it always associates God and Jesus as light coming into the darkness of this world. So in John chapter 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. 
that light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John chapter 8 says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here when it says that people, people without Jesus, people without God are living in darkness, it literally means that they're living without the light of God and the light of Jesus. In life, they are alienated and separated and estranged from God. And I think that it's very, very important for us to see uh, all of these things played out in people who are not expecting the return of Jesus. Because that's why it says there that those who are in darkness are surprised like, like when a thief enters your house when Jesus comes again. Because they are spiritually blind, they're living in sin, they're strange from Jesus, they do not expect the return of Jesus. But Christians or those who are brothers and sisters who belong to Jesus, are different. Because it says there very clearly that you all are children of the light and children of the day. Now that means that, um, next slide, that we, we can see, right? We have spiritual insight, spiritual knowledge. But I think more than that, we also are in the light or of the light because we belong to Jesus and we've received the light that's come into the world. And it means that every single person who believes in Jesus, all, right, if you look at verse 5 very clearly, you are all children of the light, and you are all children of the day. Now, it's quite strange, right, if you look carefully, why it says you're children of the light as well as children of the day. Why not just say children of the light? Because after all, it just said, you know, light is... You know, opposite of darkness, right? Why the day? Is the day just another picture of, you know, daytime, you know, daytime has light, right? I mean, that's, those days they didn't have fluorescent light and things like that. So daytime is when the light happens. But I think it's actually deeper than that, right? The, the, the day that is referring to here is not just the light, but referring back to the day of the Lord found in verse 2. You are children of the day, as in you are children of the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord happens and Jesus comes, you will not be caught up in fear and destruction and God's wrath and judgment and terror. Because as children of that day, you are looking forward to the day. You, are, you belong to that day. Because on that day, you will be united with Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is really important for us. First up, right? Next slide. Okay? Because this is our identity. Okay, we have to be very, very clear that if you believe in Jesus, this is your identity. You are children of the light. You belong to the light. You belong to Jesus. You, have, you know what's going to happen. And you are children of the day. You belong to the day of the Lord. Because once that's very clear in your mind, right, that you are children of the light and children of the day, then it will have very, very big Implications on the way that you live. Because in verse 6, it goes on to say, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, there are two ways to live here again, based on the two identities of people. And those who sleep, sleep in the night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. I think that's a very, that's something we all understand. I mean, like, you know, that's what people do. I mean, we sleep at night generally, unless you're a shift worker. And people who drink and get drunk generally get drunk at night. But what does it mean that those who live in the darkness sleep and get drunk? I mean, obviously, non-Christian people who don't believe in, in Jesus, and they're not like vampires, right? They don't sleep during the day all the time, and they're not drinking all the time. Not all the, you know, not all the people I know who are non-Christians drink all the time or drink at all. But I think it's a picture of, in terms of their spiritual state of alertness, the spiritual clear-mindedness in their preparation for the return of Jesus. You see, in terms of picture language, right, being asleep and being drunk is the idea of being dazed or, or unfocused or blurry in terms of your living, right? So, you think for a moment, um, okay, I've got some pictures for you, right? So you think for a moment, right? Okay. Oh, hey. Oh, okay, don't worry. The other picture will come later. So you think for myself, Okay, I, I, if you ask anybody, I rarely drink at all, right? Uh, maybe at most, I drink a glass of red wine at night. But once I drink that glass of red wine, I, I can't prepare for my sermon, right? <laughs> and I can't, you know, prepare a Bible study. And, and, I, and I really dread one day where I've had a glass of red wine and someone calls me up and says, Oh, hey pastor, I really need you to come over right now, right? Because I'll be in big trouble. Because once you drink, you're sort of groggy and you're drowsy and you're sleepy. And you're lethargic. You're not really alert and, and, and sharp and prepared. And I remember uh, this movie that I watched, okay, which is one of the favorite movies that I've ever seen, which is called um, uh, Empire of the Sun. Have you ever seen this movie before? Okay, it, it's, it actually has Christian Bale there as a young kid before he got all grumpy. Um, but um, it's about how uh, uh, it's a true story about uh, a true story about this guy who wrote this book. Uh, Empire of the Sun, J.G. Ballard. And it's about the expatriate community in Shanghai and how the Japanese had you know, been invading all around China, but the people in Shanghai never felt that the Japanese would come and invade the city because Shanghai at the time had a huge amount of expatriates, including Germans and Italians, and they were allies to the Japanese. So in the movie, in the beginning especially, you see that people were going to balls, they were going to nightclubs, they were going to fancy dress parties, drinking the best champagne. And when the Japanese came, they were completely unprepared. So if you see this movie, uh, picture from the movie, you can see that when they left, they were all still dressed in their, like, you know, their, 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 their partying clothes. And I think that's a picture of living in the night, isn't it? If you're living in the night, you're sleeping, you're drinking, there's a sense of, uh, drowsiness, there's a sense of lethargy, there's a sense of being unprepared for something. But it's different, you see, for Christians. Okay, this is where the next slide comes in. Hey, where are those uh, pictures? Uh? The one that, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so because I think there is a difference, right, between being sleepy and being alert, right? <clears throat> so if you don't, don't understand the picture I've got, uh, I mean, if you, if you Google alert, these are the pictures you get, right? You know, <clears throat> the picture of like the, the gazelle or like the, the squirrel who's like really alert and watchful for any 
you know, eagle or lion or leopard, you know, coming to attack you. And again, there's a there's a there's an opposite idea of being drunk and being sober. Right, next slide. Right, because you know when you're drunk, you're kind of like really out of it, right? But then when you're when you're sober and you're focused, you know, there's a completely different frame of mind. And what's happening here, if you see in verse eight is that because we know the day is coming, we have the light, we live in Jesus, we belong to the day. It says that in verse 8, since we belong to that day, all right, let us be self-controlled or let us be sober. Now, I don't know about you, but as, if I were to write the Bible, you know, the Andrew Ong version of the Bible, I'll probably stop there, right? If you know that Jesus is going to come, let us be sober, let us be self-control, let us be alert and awake and let us not sin or let us not be ungodly or let us not be unholy, right? But then it uses a very interesting picture, right? Because it just doesn't say let us be self-controlled or sober, but it says let us be self-controlled and sober so that we may put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, I think this is very, very different from just being self-controlled for the sake of being self-controlled, sober for the sake of being sober and not sinning, right? It says that we are to be sober and alert so that we may put on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. This is the main instruction here. It means that if you know that Jesus is coming, let's be alert and controlled and make sure that we always have our armor on and we always have our hope and our faith and our love close to us and ready and in good shape. You see, it's totally appropriate, right? Because this picture is a military picture. Okay, You know, you put on the helmet, you put on the breastplate. This is a picture of a soldier who is in sentry duty. And when you think of soldiers... Okay, next slide. Okay, I've got lots of pictures coming out so you can watch the slide, right? If you think of a soldier on sentry duty, you never see... Well, I mean, I've never seen a, a soldier on sentry duty asleep or drunk, right? Okay, maybe I, I shouldn't make fun of countries or whatever. But, but you know, it's like that's, that's not the picture of a soldier on sentry duty. He's always alert, focused, not drunk, asleep. Okay, and, and I've got some other pictures of soldiers. Next one. Now, in the ancient world, before bullets and everything, the main, main things that a soldier must always have throughout all the different armies in, uh, in, in the middle, in the, I guess in the first century in, in the ancient world, was to have the, breast, the, the chest plate and the helmet. I mean, that's the number one thing you need as a soldier because the most vulnerable areas are your body and your head. So you think about it for a moment, right? Next slide. When you see riot police, oh, this one not very clear, the next one. When you see riot police, Today, not that you see many on the streets of Singapore, unless you went to Little India or something, right? But or or you know, but if you see right police like in America or Europe, when they when they're on the streets, they, they always have those two things: helmet, chest plate. You cannot be a right policeman without having those things because those are the most important things that you need. And what the image is given here is that as Christians we are to be like those soldiers. We are to be alert and sober and always have 
our chest plate and our helmet with us. But it's not a real one, right? It's, it's, it's a picture of our faith in God, a picture of our love in God, our faith in Jesus, and our hope of salvation. We must always keep those things with us like we are soldiers on alert, watchful for Jesus' return. See, my, my both my kids are doing NS now, and both of them have finished their basic military training. And, and, and both times, they had to do their field camp, right? For those of you who are in the army, you know that in the field camp, what they do is they go out to the field and then they dig trenches and do all sorts of things, right? But during this time, what apparently happens is the, the officers always try to grab your rifle, right? They try to grab your rifle and take it away from you because obviously in the modern army, what's your most important thing? Your rifle, right? And uh, you, you can speak to one of my sons because one of my sons actually lost their rifle. So anyway, <laughs> but... But my son said, you know, you must always, always be alert and watchful to make sure that they never steal your rifle. That's the thing that you can never afford to lose. And as Christians, what it's really saying is that because we know the day of Jesus is coming, because we belong to the light, we belong to the day, we must never allow our helmet and our chest plate to be snatched from us. We must always be alert. We must always be sober. Our hope of salvation, our faith in Jesus, our you know, our love for God must always be things which we are watchful over, which we are sober, and make sure that they are in good shape as we look forward to the day of Jesus Christ. You see, what is our identity? Our identity is to be children of the light children of the day, but that's not good enough, you see. You see, if you look up here on the slide, right at the very beginning, what did Paul the Apostle praise and thank God for, for the Thessalonian Christians? It says there, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work, Produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance aspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these were Christians who already had faith, they already had love, and they already had hope. But it's not enough, it's not enough to have those things. It is just as important to be alert and sober and to make sure your hope, your love, your your faith are continually strengthened and polished and in good shape, right? In good good condition. And I think this is what the picture is because the danger is for us we can become sleepy and drowsy and drunk and live as if we are in the night. And we no longer are watchful over our helmet of hope and the breastplate or the chest plate of faith and love. We allow it to be stolen from us. We allow it to be, uh, to be, I guess, in not good shape. And we, we over time, uh, become unprepared for the return of Jesus Christ. I wonder about ourselves. I wonder if you reflect on yourself. Uh, are you really alert and sober? And really have your chest plate of, of love and faith and your helmet of hope close to you? 
Or, or are you allowing you know, your general tiredness and exhaustion or your distraction of a hobby or relationship? Take away uh, that, that, that breastplate and the helmet so that when Jesus comes, uh, you are not ready for him when he comes like a thief in the night. Because in verse 9 and 11, it says very clearly, right? For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You see, if you look at this slide up here, the next one, uh, God has appointed us or called us or chosen us so that we will receive salvation. Right? When Jesus comes, we will finally receive what we've been waiting for and expecting all this time. We are not those who are appointed or chosen to receive God's wrath, destruction. But there is a warning here, isn't it, that we must keep encouraging and building one another up to keep being sober, alert, self-controlled and awake, to keep making sure that our hope, our faith, our love is really being protected, encouraged, nurtured and watered. Because there is a real risk if, if you are not prepared, if you lose your helmet and lose your chest plate, then there is a risk, isn't it, that you may receive God's wrath. You know, I always remember this illustration that someone gave uh, in my Bible study group about marathon running. Right? I've, I've never run a marathon, uh, nor do I intend to. But they were saying that, you know, when you run a marathon, the hardest thing is where halfway when you're running in the marathon, you feel like giving up. Right? You feel like giving up. You're running, running, I don't know how fast, 41 kilometers or something, is that how long marathon is? Sounds like a really long way. I can imagine giving up, right? So halfway, you know, when you're running, you feel like giving up. So I remember this person in my Bible study group says, the way that she motivated herself was to think, when I finish, I can finally go back to my hotel room and have a long bath. And she always told herself, well, now is not the time for me to rest, right? Now is not the time for me to slack off because I haven't reached the end yet. I haven't reached the end of the marathon, I'm still going, right? I mean, the marathon's only halfway. It's only when I get to the end, that's when I can go to the hotel room to have my nice bath. In the same way, I think as Christians, we, you know, between the time where we become Christians and believe in Jesus till the time that we die, or till the time when Jesus returns, it is like a one long marathon race, right? And it is daytime. From the time that we become Christians to the time that Jesus comes and we die, it is daytime. It is the time of light. It is not a time where we decide to sleep or become drunk or to, you know, slack off. The Bible tells us very clearly that between now and the time that you die or Jesus return is the time of light and day. And we need to be alert. We need to be awake. We need to be self-controlled and sober so that we are always looking after our faith, looking after our hope, and looking after our love for God. So I suppose the question that we need to ask ourselves as I ask myself as I look at this passage is, 
How is my hope in the future? How is my faith in in Jesus? How is my love for God? Are those things which I'm putting effort into? Are those things in which I'm being sober and self-controlled over? You know, if I look at my own life, where is my helmet now? Where is my chest plate now? Is it like lost somewhere, you know, in some dark cabinet somewhere with, which is given no attention whatsoever? Right? Because we don't know when Jesus is coming and you also don't know when you're going to die, right? You might walk outside now and something might happen to you. At any moment, right, these things can happen. Right? If you were to die today, right, this very moment, how is your hope and your faith and your love? You know, are you ready uh, to face Jesus right now? Well, the Bible tells us that we need to be alert. We need to be awake and sober-minded about this. And we need to be prepared for the return of Jesus because we do not know when He's coming, but He will certainly come. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that we may take seriously the words of Jesus, that though we may know a great deal of what's going to happen when He returns, we do not know when exactly that He will return. Let us take your word on face value that He will come like a thief in the night. And dear Father, we know that we may never predict when that may happen. So dear Father, may we never grow tired of nurturing our faith in Jesus, our love for you, or our hope in our salvation. May we always be like a sentry duty soldier, alert, attentive, wakeful, sober-minded. Help us to always have our chest plate and our helmet on, ready and expectant for the return of Jesus. Let us not be delinquent let us not be those who fall asleep, those who get drunk on the job, but rather help us right now to examine our lives to see if we are prepared so that we will truly receive our salvation when Jesus returns. And instead, never fear the wrath that is to come. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.